Hello and welcome to Ascend Higher, the podcast of True Freedom Trust. My name's Stuart Parker and I'm the director of this UK-based charity. We hold to the historic Christian understanding of what the Bible teaches about sex and relationships, and we offer teaching, pastoral support groups and conferences. This podcast is connected to our quarterly Ascend magazine, which includes a range of articles, reviews and personal stories, all dealing with what it's like to be a Christian attracted to others of the same sex. For the winter edition of Ascend Hire, my colleague Ruth met up with Ros Clark for a chat. She's the Associate Director of the Church Society and a member of General Synod. Ruth was particularly interested in the way in which Ros has used craft to open up conversations about sexuality within the church. Let's listen in. Okay, morning Ros, it's really nice to meet you. Thank you for agreeing to meet me. Um, we're in your really nice, cosy office which is it's got a lot of stuff in it's a it's a small room isn't it with a lot of things in it i i live in a very small house right which also has a lot of things in it so i've i've learned i'm never going to be a minimalist right uh but i'm i'm good at packing packing things in and you, you were telling me about your lovely man who put your shelving up yeah that's right so it's just a rented office in a business center uh, in town it's a one-person office and lots of the furniture came with it there's a lovely caretaker he used to work here who when i brought in my ikea flat pack bookshelves <laughs> was like oh can i put those up for you ross i really like doing that i'm like you can They're very great so they are very stable so which great. is good because they are very full they are that's great thank you um just to introduce you because not everybody um who's listened to this maybe know what you do i'm just wondering where you're based and what you do for a living thank you so we're in stafford right. uh, which is where i live and as we've said where my office is i work for an organization called church society okay. uh, our administrative office is in watford but uh, the rest of the staff work remotely all over the country and uh, I am Associate Director of Church Society which means I have a very wide brief okay. but as an organisation uh, I'm trying to remember our strap line nice. is, is, I think that's the right word for it <laughs> is that we are a fellowship uh, contending to reform and renew the Church of England in biblical faith right. that's that's becoming an increasingly difficult task uh, as uh, time goes on at the moment but that is our goal so we work within the Church of England we're not uh, a part of the Church of England although we have some formal links uh, with parishes where we have the right of patrons uh, to be involved in appointing people Uh, I'm on General Synod and one or two other committees of the National Church Uh, you know so so that's our goal really is to work with church family churches that are trying to stay faithful to the Bible right. uh, and equip them uh, to do that in what is an increasingly difficult time. Thank you. Um, I just would like to know about how you came to know Jesus. Yeah. Excuse me. <clears throat> well, um, the Lord knew what he was doing, <laughs> but it did seem a bit of a roundabout thing. So I grew up in a, a family uh, locally uh, and not a Christian family. We never went to church other than for somebody's wedding or a a funeral. Uh, I occasionally went with the brownies. Um, But also I went to a Catholic primary school and it was a convent school and it felt like 
uh, we were always over in the, the church. Yeah. But it always came with these really dire warnings. If you were not a Catholic, do not go up to receive communion. Yeah. And I don't know exactly what I thought would happen if you did, but if somebody had been literally struck dead by lightning, yes. I would not have been surprised. No, you know, no. it was yeah. really kind of them and us mm-hmm. at that point. So I knew it was a sort of thing, but it wasn't ever a thing that I thought needed to impinge on my life at all. Yeah. Um, and then I went to a boarding school uh, for secondary school, which was sort of nominally Church of England, and again, church every Sunday and, and sort of Christian hymns and prayers and things every day. And I suddenly became aware that that everybody else was sort of part of that. Not mm. everybody, mm. but most people had been baptised. Most people would would have said they were Christians, would have said they were part of that, and, and I wasn't. And I was quite a contrary sort of teenager. <laughs> I mean, I'm still quite a contrary sort of adult, but I was definitely a contrary sort of teenager. And when everyone else was sort of dissing Christianity in the church, I was like, oh, maybe there's something in it. Right. Um, so I came home one summer and said, I think I want to get baptised. And my mum said, really? And my dad said, you sure and okay if that's really what you want so uh we knew the local vicar because his son was friends with my brother so we went to him and said you know can can we do this and went to a few evening classes over the summer and then mm-hmm. about 12 or 13 was baptized and from then on definitely would have said i am a christian mm. but mostly the impact that had on my life was arguing vociferously in RE lessons at school you know if everyone's like well that can't happen that's nonsense I'd be like well of course miracles could happen and that sort of thing it didn't really have much more of an impact than that and that but a few years later I went on a Christian summer camp and heard somebody speaking about the parable of the prodigal son Mm. and it is really interesting to me how the Lord arranges this because I am somebody who has done a lot of theological studies since Mm. then and really thought hard about the faith but at that point I don't think I really understood anything Mm. I just knew that God wanted me to come home and that I could um and and that somehow that was all right and you talk about God choosing you and I mean what you just said that's beautiful isn't it Mm. that he chose you to be Mm. part of his family and Mm. and for you that meant coming home to be with him exactly it always had that really beautiful relational thing to me and it it was at least a year later before I understood that Jesus dying on the cross had really anything to do with enabling that to happen And, and I think that's that sort of way of coming to faith has always given me a a slightly different perspective on what the gospel is. I don't think the gospel is Jesus died on the cross. Mm. I think that's the way that the the gospel, the sort of mechanics of how it can happen. But the good news is that God loves us and calls us, as you say, to be part of his family. And we can trust that he's made a way to make that all right. We don't have to be the ones understanding all of that we just know it's true like when a child you know they just know that their mum is their mum they don't need to know all the mechanics of how that came to be yeah um thank you that's really moving actually really moving about how you came to know jesus um the title if we're having a title for this talk is really about 
your art and craft ability and how we're going to relate that to matters of sexuality, celibacy and the singleness. You yes. wouldn't think you would put those three words together yeah. with art, but you have managed to do it really, really well. So um, what I wanted to ask you is how did your interest in art begin? Um, and is it a hobby? Have you had a job doing art? Um, and how do you engage with God through it? Great. Oh, lots of great questions. My grandmothers both were creative right. women. Uh, on one side, my grandparents used to run a shop which amongst other things was a haberdashery and had sort of a wall of knitting wool and all sorts oh. of, and I still have um, one little thing from the shop actually I have at home is what was the button display cabinet. <laughs> and it, I mean, it's, you know, it's one oh. of those kind of vintage pieces that people would pay a fortune for yeah. now. And it's quite impractical because it doesn't fit an A4 piece of paper in it. It's just <laughs> the wrong sort of shape mm -hmm. and size for everything. But I love it. And I love that it reminds me of them and of yeah. the shop. So from a young age, I can remember being taught to knit and to crochet and to sew. And I always enjoyed doing those sorts of child kind of craft yeah. potato printing and that's sort of, and actually one of the things I really enjoy doing now I have a, a niece and nephew who are eight and ten and art with auntie Roz is is a favorite yeah. of all of us right. so I've always enjoyed those things I was never any good at it at school okay I found that I found I never understood what they were asking me to do yeah. basically so being prescriptive <coughs> something is more difficult Yes, although I mostly just think they were not very good at explaining. Okay. They sort of assumed people already knew what they were talking about right. and then the rest of us didn't okay. and therefore didn't do what was expected. Anyway, um, but it's always been a thing. You know, I got a sewing machine when I was about 16. Um, I made my own clothes for quite a long time. I mean, I still do occasionally. I find it, find those sort of craft things... Mm relaxing either because the things that I can do without really thinking about it so right. knitting okay. for example um, or they're things sometimes what you need is something that requires enough attention that it takes you away from whatever else you're thinking about so I found during the early months of the pandemic for example uh, I was really I found the the whole news cycle just utterly overwhelming I couldn't cope with it and I did a lot of dressmaking then because I could go, uh, I've got a little garden mm. shed where I do my sewing, it has no internet, and I could just go and I do something and I have to focus on that yeah. so I'm not thinking about okay. the other stuff. So there's definitely that. And But then there's also been this strand, six or seven years ago, I started going to a regular art class. Mm -hmm. uh, at the time, I was working for the diocese in Litchfield and I was really struggling to manage a sort of work-life balance. I had to work quite odd hours mm -hmm. and the temptation on my day off was just to spend it all in bed. Yeah. And so I saw this art class and I thought, well, if I go to that, I'll have to get up, get dressed, get out of the house and go and spend some time with people who aren't Christians yeah. as well. Anyway, I still go to that art class. It's mm. Over the years, it's moved location and 
timing and and so on but it's the same teacher and it's the same kind of class and it is wonderful and it's all about all the things that school art was never about it's about enjoying yourself and expressing your own creativity and we do all kinds of different techniques and you have a go and you find that you know I've discovered I really love doing collage Mm -hmm. which I never knew and you know all sorts of wonderful things and and it's still that sort of wonderful group um that I you know it's completely out of my work life and out of my normal circles and it's just a a wonderfully um restful and relaxing thing to do on a day off but it's also made me think oh I'm much more interested in art than I thought I was right so as a result of that I did enroll on an online degree course Mm. I did a foundations course and then the first couple of modules of a degree in textiles Mm -hmm. um which is really my thing although I I, I definitely am a jack of all trades Um, and I loved it I really loved it but at the point where I was in a hospital with blood pressure that was higher than any of the doctors (laughs) had ever seen before I was like do you know what maybe I don't need to do a degree as a hobby at this point so to answer your other question it, it is definitely a hobby right and for me that's quite important the the pressure of doing something to make money changes it entirely. I do have a little side hustle with some patterns, uh, mostly cross-stitch patterns and and one or two knitting patterns that I've designed. Mm -hmm. It's it's pocket money and it's fine if nobody buys them. And so, yeah, my job is stressful enough. Yes. So I need this to be my outlet. Part of... We we will look at some some things that you've done. I want to bring God into this mm. now in your art mm. because um, you have been quite provocative, would I suggest, um, in some of the designs, especially a design that you have done for a kneeler, like yes. a pew kneeler um, in church. Yes, and this is where we come to the sexuality part. Yes. So you are now showing me this beautiful kneeler. You design that. Yes. And this has ended up on a YouTube video. Yes, that's, that's right. If you uh, want to put the link to that somewhere, that I will, will help that. people see the context of so, these things. These words are Christ is better than sex. Um, explain to me how you came to yes. design that, why that is a good medium for what you're trying to say, and how was it received so um many of your listeners will know but just in case because not everyone will be in the church of england we have been going through a process called living in love and faith for the last five or six years in the church of england which has involved a number of different stages but it's all been around the question of how uh, as a church we understand and welcome and relate to one another on the issues of sexuality primarily, although also gender a little bit. And as part of that, uh, we were invited to submit creative responses. You could, there was a little survey you could respond with and there's a little course you could do and and you could email in Mm. thoughts and whatever, but there was an invitation to send in creative responses. Mm. Now, I don't know whether you've heard of a thing called craftivism. No. So craftivism is a much wider movement. Um, There was a really great 
uh, I can't remember the programme on a short series uh, with Jenny Eclair mm. on TV a few years ago, sort of explaining right. it and exploring uh, different ways. And it's a way, it's a sort of way of engaging in protest politically or socially or uh, campaigning or just a sort of way of engaging with with people in the world Mm. through craft Mm. so for example there was one uh, of the campaigns she talked about that involved people embroidering handkerchiefs right. and sending them to their MP. Now, oh, if you're okay. an MP, you get quite a lot of emails, you yeah. get slightly fewer letters, you don't get many embroidered no. handkerchiefs, and it makes you stop and think somebody really cares about this. They've yes. taken time to make something, right? And the thing itself is very beautiful. Yeah. I need to. I need to. That's arresting, isn't it? I mean, it's it's very get... arresting. Right. Exactly. So it can be little things like that. Or very large things. So one of the most famous is the AIDS quilt, right. which actually has never been sewn together in an old quilt. It's a huge pile. I don't know, thousands, I think, of quilt tops that people made mm. for their loved one who had died of AIDS. Right. And it, it's profoundly moving. Mm. It, you know, and each one represents a life lost in in a way that just reading about a little biography would be so different. Mm. So it's a very powerful way of engaging with things. And I just had a vision when they were inviting Mm. these craft responses that what we would get would be a lot of very moving, very tragic, very emotional stories. Because we've had a lot of that in our actual debates, people talking about, you know, real tragedy of their own lives and suicidal thoughts Mm. and actual suicides and this sort of thing. And I just sort of had a vision of a gallery that was all these tragic stories of people whose sexuality had been oppressed or they'd been abused or they'd been offended by the church. Mm. And, you know, the church rightly has, you know, has a lot to repent of in those areas. So there'll be a lot of those stories. And I just thought, I want there to be a positive story in there as well. As it turned out, about half the things in the gallery were made by me and there was not a huge creative (laughs) response at all. But... Uh, I felt quite strongly that I wanted to engage with that. And actually, one of the things I've forgotten to bring, even before this happened, one of the first things I designed was a little bookmark, mm. just with the, the phrase, true love loves truth, right. um, which is based on a verse in, in 1 Corinthians 13, um, which I now can't remember. Mm. Uh, it's not an exact translation, but it, yeah. it's that sort of thing. And my vision was that we would send these to every member of General Synod, just as a reminder during the debates. You know, yes, we want to love. Yes, this is about love. But also, true love loves truth. It's not loving to pretend. It's not loving to be unkind. Anyway, so I'd already got into that habit, and I thought, well, what are the things that I can do? Right. And textile is very natural to me. And I wanted to link it to a life in the church. So I thought, well, where do you see textiles in the church? banners and robes I had a wonderful idea for a stole that I never actually made Um, but kneelers you know very common in Church of England churches and very um, bold you know you don't get a lot of detail on a a kneeler they're they're in very big stitches so it's got to be bold it's got to be a big message and I wanted it to look celebratory right so I was thinking about different uh, things that I wanted to say and one of the things that had come up in all the material was just this sense of if we're asking people to to give up having sex to live yeah. a celibate life for yeah. whatever reason 
then that's almost abusive because that's just so awful. You know, how could you ask anyone to do that? And I just want to say, well, actually, because we're giving them something better. Absolutely. And, you know, for many people, whether they're same-sex attracted or not, whether they're married or whether they're single, there will be lots of times in your life Mm. where you won't be having sex. Yeah. For all sorts of reasons. And that is okay. And it's okay. It's always okay because we have Christ and that is better. There's a, a sort of deeper theological meaning to that as well, I think, to do with where we will be in the new creation. Mm. We won't be having sex with people. No. And we won't be looking back saying, oh, I wish I'd had more sex. I wish I'd had any sex. <laughs> because we will have the reality, Christ, which is what all of our human sexual relationships now point towards in a um, sort of transient and inadequate but but sort of vague way point towards the reality that we will enjoy so of course it's worth giving up sex now if that's what the lord calls you to for the better reward in heaven and so that's where i ended up with and it's sort of lettering that's a little bit circusy um the colors are very bright reds and yellows and then a, a sort of blue background so it stands out and it was well, it was really interesting how it was received. So, like right. I said, they were all on display at, yeah. at General Synod one time, and people could go around and look at them. And I found myself going into group work sessions or meetings with people who I have entirely different views right. on everything. Yeah. Saying, was that your Neela? That's so great. Even, I believe, the Archbishop of York wow. thought it was brilliant. And at that point, I was like, oh, did did it not? Did he not quite get the message? No. So people he wouldn't have. That would have a, a, a different, different theological view. perspective yeah. to it. But I think I, I was sort of encouraged that, that people, as an object, it clearly was getting people's attention yeah. and and not in a way that, that they were saying, yes, but what an awful message you put on it. Actually, people were still at least That's... out loud agreeing with this. Now, obviously, what that looks like in practice, they might disagree with. Yeah. But but it, yeah, it was. I think it was quite a powerful thing. So do you think that art gives you a license to be more provocative I mean as a as a way as a way of coming in or would you have said that out loud anyway because on on the video you did you have stated that you are a virgin Mm. now we don't hear a lot of men or women stating that um I think you're in your mid 40s I'm I mean that's very generous I'll be 50 next year (laughs) Right. That's definitely mid forties. Mid forties, we'll go with that. Um, and it's unusual Ooh. and rare to be honest about your yeah. sex- lack of sex life. No, well, or sexual state, or whatever we're going to say. Um, yeah, was that difficult to say? Or well, when you come out with the kneeler, did you think? I, I I just want to keep going with this and yeah. let's see, yeah. you know, or was it, yeah. mean, what, what did people think about that? I mean, did that, was that commented So on? I guess where I come from, I think I have moved from a, a sort of repressed, embarrassed, traditional British, let's not okay. talk about it yeah. person that I think I would have been certainly in my teens and my twenties to someone who will talk about pretty much everything freely okay one of the big steps in that and I don't know if this is something uh that you've picked up on mm. or, or not 
I spent quite a lot of time, and I still do, reading romance novels. Okay. And for for a while, I also wrote romance wow. novels. I didn't know that. And um, they're not currently available. Don't go Google no, okay. it. They, for various reasons, they're no longer in print. <laughs> okay. But, um, I mean, they're there. They were under my name. You right. know, they're, they're not. So you do own up to that. I absolutely, okay, absolutely do. And okay. that was always one of my things was they need to be under my name so that I'm not doing things I'm, ash- I'm ashamed okay. to admit to. Right. But it really helped me to think about sex mm. in a different sort of way. As someone who's never experienced it personally, yeah. actually reading about it in... You know, I'm always the sort of reader that's really engaged and involved in the story understanding how sex can be something that is joyful or Mm. comforting or harmful or angry um and how it can be something that within a relationship can grow intimacy or push it away um what what good healthy sex can look like and yeah. how that distinguishes itself from actually bad unhealthy sexual experiences yeah. all of those kind of things and and in ways that that are very free and open mm-hmm. um and you know not necessarily conversations you'd have with your married friends for example tell me yeah. about your sex but I'm like, <laughs> I, don't, don't I don't need to imagine no. a specific person <laughs> okay. uh in that but it it just made me really start to think about it. And it, along with that, I was doing a PhD in the Song of Songs, yeah. which um, I don't think is about sex, but I do think it's about marriage, and I do think it's primarily about the Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. But there is a lot of um, desire mm-hmm. and passion and that sort of exploration of sexuality. And Im- imagery. And, the imagery yeah. that brings out that that sort of passion that they have for each other, the frustration when they're apart, the pain of being on her own um, and being attacked. There is, I think, a rape scene in the Song of Songs. So all of those things that that I was thinking about a lot um, made me feel very passionately that there's something we need to be teaching about more in the church, that we need to be able to disciple people in and, and pass them in because... You know, where where do people get their understanding of mm. what sex is and what it's for and what it should be like and, and how to do it in a way that glorifies God? Yeah. I don't know. Mm. And, you know, there are some books out there mm. and some I think probably better than others. Yeah. But also there's a lot of really bad books Absolutely. out there. There's a, a lot of books that embed a, an almost abusive kind of relationship in, in the sexual mm. realm. And so... Yeah, so I felt quite strongly we should be talking about this more. So I actually, uh, several years before this came about, had been giving talks on, Mm. I gave gave a talk called Sex and the Heavenly City, (laughs) and thinking about sex and and eschatology, and why does Mm. God make us sexual beings? Mm -hmm. Why does he make men and women to have sex? What is the point of that? I mean, partly it's reproduction, mm. but there's all sorts of ways creatures reproduce. Yeah. It doesn't have to be sexual. It doesn't have to be male and female sexual. Why does he do it like that? Well, and I think it is to help us get some understanding of the kind of love and intimacy there is within God himself. Mm. Now, the Father, Son and Spirit are not having sex. No. In, in some kind of eternal orgy and when we get to the new creation we won't be having sex either in, in some kind of eternal orgy 
But what I think it is, is that human sex and the the sort of closeness and the intimacy and the penetration and uh, the orgasmic kind of rush of of delight Mm. that sort of takes you beyond yourself, but only just for a moment Mm. and then it always comes to an end, points us towards an experience that will be like that, Mm. but better and permanent and completely intimate and free and wonderful when the marriage of the bridegroom and his bride, the church, is consummated. So I can't remember where that was meant to be going. No, but you, I'm wondering, you you were saying to me before we recorded this Mm. that there wasn't enough talk about sex and its purpose and its Mm. beauty and also the the abuse side of sex as well. Um, You, I've read your book, Human, and you talk about that in there. Um, just to come back to you being open yes. in talking about sex generally in church and believing that that is important for yeah. everybody, um, has there been a cost for you in doing right. that? I don't think there has been as much of a pushback as you might expect. Okay. Uh, partly that's the kind of context where I've been able to speak about it. Um, and because we're in the midst of this process in the Church of England, mm. sex is something that is on people's agenda yeah. quite a lot. And people want to have a better theology of sex. People yeah. want to have that that sort of grounding so that, as much as I can say, we can make sure that when we're talking about um, same-sex attraction and, mm. and what what's appropriate for the Church to do in response to people who are struggling with that, mm that we're not doing that in a way that is homophobic, that is grounded in sort of cultural norms, but actually that we're understanding what God has created men and women to be Mm. and relationships to men and women and the sexual aspect of those relationships Mm. rightly so that that is the basis on which we're saying, well, actually, we need to respond like this and not like this. So if we are able to say that sex has this eternal purpose in God's creation and Mm. therefore it must be man and woman Mm -hmm. and I think the knockdown argument for me Christ and the church are not interchangeable yeah you know the 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 church cannot be the bridegroom and Christ cannot be the bride it is not a, a relationship of two identical people and therefore if the purpose of men and women being created to marry is to enable us to understand that eternal marriage Mm well, then it must be a man and a woman yeah. in order to image that appropriately. And that's what we see in Ephesians 5 and, yeah. and places like that. So I think speaking into that context where people want to understand mm. the theology has been a, a really valuable contribution. And I think also because I have no practical experience, I don't really talk about practical things at all. Okay. I say to ministers, you need to talk to your congregation about this. Yeah. And you certainly need to be preparing people who are going to get married mm. and your teenagers and, and people and so on to understand uh, what what godly sex looks like. I yeah. mean, about as near as I get to it is to think about the fruits of the spirit. How yeah. how would it be if you had sex that was loving, okay, yeah. but also joyful and peaceful and good and kind and patient and faithful and self-controlled? Yeah, 
okay, I don't really care where you're putting which hand or which body yeah. part or whatever, but are you thinking about your your partner in this yeah. and how you can show kindness to them in, in sex, yes. how you can be self-controlled, how you can be patient, yeah. and so on and so on. And I think, I, I don't know how many people are, are taking this on board and doing anything with it, but I don't think anyone has felt... That, that that's a wrong thing to have said. Right. Many of them, equally repressed middle class British people who don't want to talk about this, so I don't know how far it goes. No. Um, but but I think people are hearing the message we do actually need to talk about this. Right. And you know, I hear stories and I'm sure you must as well, mm. of people who get married and their wedding night, mm. whether they have it on the actual night or the you know, wait till they're not so exhausted, is is an absolute disaster. Yeah. Because actually, nobody has really helped them to know how yeah. to. And I actually think, think that you speaking about this to ministers mm. and um, in conferences, etc., has really opened up a dialogue which is necessary, um, yeah. and it's not taboo anymore. Um, yes, so... I'm not. I'm not saying I'm taking personal no, responsibility for that, but, but I agree. Part, I, think I think it is changing. Part of your ministry, I would suggest, is opening mm. up this and I hope so. we thank you for that so yeah so I think when I was you know there's the the Neela and there's mm. there's other things as well I don't think my goal was yeah, to be was your provocative intent, exactly so that wasn't it was it was really to say these are things that I think very I believe very strongly yeah. that I don't think are being represented right in the discussion That's that we're something. having at the moment yeah and this is a way that I hope to get your attention that's, and make you think about that's that. Really but not, helpful. yeah. So I guess to provoke thought, but not yeah. to provoke controversy. Yes. No. That's thank you. That's really helpful. Um, I'm interested that in your book, mm. Human, you say that 20 years ago you made a decision to be single. Yeah. Um, so can you explain that and? Um, because that that is un it is unusual. It's unusual and it's a statement. It's not that you prevaricated or you. I mean, you must have thought very deeply about it. I don't mean that. <laughs> I didn't wake up one morning no, and just go no. exactly. But it it's a decision you made and it's, it's unusual. Was. And I'm wondering um, yeah, have how you, I came to that. Yes, yeah. and have you? It what it looks like now no. has yeah. it changed what yeah. you thought twenty so, years ago. As I say, I became a Christian when I was a teenager and I didn't really know what I was going to do with my life. I went to university quite soon afterwards and became involved in the Christian union there and doing all kinds of Christian things and and loving it and feeling like the Lord maybe had some way that he wanted to use me in the church. And what I could see that was available to me was vicar's wife they were the people who i could see who were doing something that was closest to what i thought i might do um so i did spend quite a lot of my early mid-20s thinking i just need to find the right person and get married right because then i'll be able to do this well it wasn't really i want to get married and it certainly wasn't ever i want children i i've always had quite a strong sense of i really don't want children and i am now menopausal and there's a great relief that comes with that knowing it 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 really it really isn't on the card um which i appreciate is not very common especially for women Mm -hmm. and you know i have a number of 
single friends my age for whom that is a deep sadness yes. um, and I'm very grateful that for me it, it really isn't mm. um, but but like I said I was still thinking I wanted to get married and you know that wasn't really happening at all um, and was exploring various kind of ministry options and and ways to go and was finding it sort of a something that was kind of holding me back mm. or weighing me down in a way there's sort of well if it's this why would I bother going and doing this training or why would I bother applying for this sort of mm. job or or whatever I'm thinking but actually that is what I want to do right. why don't I just do that yeah and spending so much time being sad about it and thinking about it and being and and actually just coming to the point of saying so I think the decision that I made was that I would assume that the Lord was calling me to singleness yeah and if he wasn't he would need to make that very clear okay so it wasn't absolutely ruling out the idea and I think I would still just about say that if the right person came along and I thought I ought to marry them then I would consider it okay that's quite that's quite a high bar for someone to have to get past um and one or two people have attempted and failed um shall we say along the years so whenever it's been tested there's been no question in my mind actually and the the further I've gone on through my life in my 30s and 40s particularly it's become really clear that the kind Mm. of things that I do would be very very much harder if I were married and particularly if I had children but um but also the ministry of being a single woman you know there's that bit isn't there I can remember it's I think it must be at the beginning of two Corinthians mm. about being comforted with the comfort you've Easy. received yes. and there's all sorts of things in my life that I can look back like you know when I was first diagnosed with depression that seemed awful but actually it's been a wonderful thing to be able to minister to other people yeah. who suffer with that and similarly with singleness it's a wonderful thing to be able to minister to people mm. who are really struggling with it and be able to say do you know what it's fine actually yeah. it's absolutely fine yeah do you know what you might never have sex mm. it's fine um, yeah, you know, there are things that are really miserable. It's always my turn to do the washing up and put the bin out. I hate that. I really do. You know, in an ideal life, I'd have a cleaner, a mechanic, a financial advisor. And somebody to put your bookshelves up. And somebody to put the bookshelves up. Exactly. But actually, none of those people need to be someone I'm married to. True. And the real value of having... I mean, I am very blessed in that I do live next door to my brother mm. and... Um, closely with my family but also I have a wonderful church family and very many wonderful friends Mm. who include me in their family life and I just don't feel like there's anything in my life I'm missing out on like to the extent that one year I got to play Santa Claus Wow! I know a female I mean I didn't dress up no but but I was doing the you know finding the the note that had been left and eating the mince pies and you know all of that sort of stuff I I I think you know the verse that has always been um important to me uh Mark 10 29 where the Lord Jesus says you know anyone who's given up homes and mothers and brothers and fields you know for the sake of me and the gospel will receive a hundredfold and yes persecutions um but that's been true for me Mm. in so many respects um that what what things I have in inverted commas given up I haven't given up at all because they've been replaced by the Lord in in so much better ways yeah um recently 
um, we were at TFT, we were asked the question, um, why do we call being celibate because we believe in the orthodoxy of scripture um, a sacrifice? Right. Because um, Christ is saying that um, sex outside of heterosexual marriage is not what God has has designed for us. Yeah. Um, can you understand that question of it being a sacrifice? And this, yeah, this question came up, and it was something we really thought about because if it if it isn't a sacrifice, are we making it one? Yeah. And some people are saying actually, I being single isn't what I want. Yeah. Whereas with you, you chose it yes. and you are joyful in it. I am joyful it hasn't, in it. Hasn't had yeah. its challenges. Definitely. I think I think that's right, isn't it? The, you know, Paul talks about the, the gift of singleness and there's a lot of debate about what that really means. And if you are single, do you just have that gift whether you want it or not? Yeah. But it is certainly true that people have different experiences of singleness. Yeah. And for some, it really isn't ever a choice that they've wanted to make. It isn't ever something they come to terms with and feel, you know, content mm. in. And one of the things I think that is the most powerful um, depiction of this, I, th I think, is in the Song of mm. Songs. And there are two incidents there where the, the woman is separated yeah. from her bridegroom. Mm. She is on her own mm. and in the city streets and it is dangerous yeah. and it is horrible. And in one of those events, she is raped by the people who should have been protecting her. Mm. And I think part of that is a reminder of, it's really hard for us as the, the bride of Christ while mm. we're waiting for the consummation. You know, we shouldn't expect this life now to to all be a bed of roses. It's hard. Yeah. But also, I think I feel very seen as a single person in that, that being without someone, yes. anyone to walk those streets with is difficult and painful and at times really damaging. Yeah. So I think if that's your experience of being celibate, that that is a legitimate one you mm -hmm. should know that god sees you yeah. and that god values your faithfulness in that situation anyway yeah um i think the question of whether something is a sacrifice for it's it's very different you know all our lives and experiences are different something that may be very easy for one person to yeah. do is very difficult for another person to do we all of us are called to take up our cross and follow him mm -hmm. we're all called to make sacrifices Absolutely. of our old selves and, and our um, sinful desires and how hard that will be will depend what your sinful desires are and in, and in what direction mm -hmm. um, so I don't think necessarily we should be saying everyone's experience of singleness should be like mine no. but even mine there have been times where I have not necessarily thought I really want to be married, but mm. I really understand why people do. Okay. Times where I felt quite lonely when I've been going through difficult times and yeah. just thought, I can't keep phoning up the same people okay. again. Yeah. When you're nobody's most important person, yes. you know, friends can be lovely, family can be lovely, but, but there isn't that one person there that you think, mm. I, you've got to listen to me no matter what. Yeah. Um, you know, so... But, but I think another important thing to remember in this is that as a single person, as a celibate person, you are not uniquely missing out. Yes. None of us experience the full range of all of God's blessings. Yeah. 
everybody gets part but everybody only gets part if you're married you may not have children and that's a deep hurt or you may have children but somebody gets very ill and that's a deep sadness or you lose your home or you lose friendships or you lose whatever it is nobody's life is completely blessed in every way in every time and and we're not special in that yeah no that's really helpful thank you um so I, I'm women's worker at True Freedom Trust and we work with um, those who have same-sex attraction. Um, you agree with their choice. Um, can cultural values often dictate, don't they, that we need to be sexually active to be healthy, fulfilled? Um, can you open that up from a, a biblical perspective? Mm. Um, and. I mean, our members live counterculturally all the time. Of course. Um, you do as well. Um, why is following scripture um, the best way to live as a Christian? Yeah. Well, one of our goals as Christians, isn't it, is to follow the Lord Jesus. I mean, I say one of our goals, that is our goal, to follow the Lord Jesus, to be disciples of Christ, who was not married was physically celibate somebody said this to me the other day that really transformed how i thought about this it's not so much that he was single that he was betrothed yes he is the bridegroom who is waiting for his bride on that last day and so are we if you are betrothed Mm. so you know I meet a man who I feel that I really ought to marry and decide I'm going to do it. I don't spend my betrothal playing around as much as I can with other people. Yeah. I don't see how that's going to make, and certainly not going to make him happy. I don't see how it would make me happy to be trying this out with yeah. other people, wow. to be going in, in ways that are going to set off my marriage on a bad footing to begin with. That's not what a betrothal is for. A betrothal is to make yourself ready to be married. So actually, whether you're doing that as a a single celibate person now, whether you're male or female, uh, whether you're same-sex attracted or not, Mm. how are you preparing yourself to be a bride? Yeah. How are you preparing yourself to be the bride of Christ? He kept himself celibate for you. Yes. So you ought to be keeping yourself celibate for him. Now, I know you know that, and I know you know that that isn't always easy, Mm. and it doesn't always feel like it's the best thing for us right now. But that is true of any sin, isn't it? You know, it can feel like, in the moment, the good thing to do is get drunk, or, you know, gossip, or whatever it is. Mm. Put your foot down on Mm. the motorway. That's my besetting (laughs) sin. Um... But actually, it's not. There are consequences of all our sin. Yeah. Um, there may be external consequences in um, uh, causing problems in relationships. There may be external consequences um, in, uh, you know, physical uh, problems that, that come if you're sexually active. Mm. If you're never sexually active, you never have to have a smear test. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, they're, they're, they're really not nice they're, I mean there's a bonus right mm, there totally. um, but you know there may be all kinds of things but, but there will certainly be a consequence for you 
the more that you give in to your sinful desires, the more your sinful desires will take over yeah. and become more powerful. Mm. The more you put them to death, the easier it is to keep putting them to death. And then you find the joy that comes mm-hmm. in living the life that Christ designs for you to live, the life to the full, to be able to enjoy the good things that God gives rather than craving after yeah. those things which satisfy and destroy. So how, mm. um, what advice would you give to Christians um, who are single, who are really struggling with that, mm. um, especially with this permanent and increasing right. message from outside, even yeah. from within the church, um, that, you know, you need, love is love. Yeah. And, and God ordained us to love, so therefore it's okay to have a same-sex relationship. Yeah. Um, what would you say to those people? Because we, you know, we do in at TFT. There's a lot of pressure, yeah, um, from outside to because you're missing out. And if God is saying okay to it, why are you um, moving away from that and choosing? something that is harmful i mean yeah. that that's a message as well isn't it you talked about that before yeah. about abuse oh People yeah say that you're yeah um, so how how constantly do you repressing exactly? yourself how do you counteract um so i think um sorry my mind has just entirely no. gone it's okay <laughs> um one of the things in our culture that is a, a huge lie is that the only kind of love that matters is sexual love. And it is just not true. There there is an extraordinary kind of love that the Lord Jesus invites us into in his body, the church. You can build a life for yourself that is full of wonderful, satisfying, loving relationships with all kinds of people. You may have family of your own that are part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have friends. I talked about friends who've included me in their family life. Yeah. You know, those those are people who are really brother and sister to me. Mm. And their children are <laughs> like my nieces and nephews. And yeah. and I love them. And and they're, you know, they are permanent part of my life. Mm. There are children in your church. And if there aren't, find a church that's full of mm. them. Um, who are who need the love of adults and so often for children it's so important to have adults who are not just their mum and dad you know you can be that person so you can love and you can be loved and don't listen to that lie that says Mm. it only counts if it's someone you're having sex with if it's someone you're married to actually in the new creation there will be no marriage mm. or giving a marriage. Mm. And yet we will all be perfectly loved yeah. and perfectly loving one another. And you can experience that now. Now, you know, that's not to say there won't be moments of regretting that or being envious of what other people have got. But actually say that mm. to your married friends. Mm. You know, if if you find it really hard to go to church and see lots of people holding hands... Yeah. As you say to some of your married friends, you know, church isn't a place for being exclusive. Church is a place for all of us to be family together. And I would really prefer it. It, I find it really hard to see the two of you thinking 
only about each other yeah, so be honest about that with yes yeah. and be honest and say actually what I really love for example is not coming around as a guest mm. but feeling like I'm coming around just to join in family life yeah. I don't mind if your house is messy or <laughs> you know if it's just baked beans on toast yeah. or whatever those are those are the experiences that 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 w- would be really valuable to me yeah. do, you, do you see what I mean and, yeah. and so actually be not in a you know strident in the morning kind of you know always of single people in this church kind of way, but actually talk to to people, talk to your friends, talk to your vicar and say, you know these are some of the ways yeah. that actually I think it would be better for everyone. Yes. Because then we would be more like a family, exactly. and it would certainly be better for me yeah. because I don't have that family in my own home yeah. to go back to every exactly. time. Um, coming on to the church finally. Mm. Um, the word inclusive is often bandied around. It's put on, you know, documentation or strap lines or whatever. Um, I was listening to your talk at Keswick about community and um, you talked there about your church family, but also somebody at the end asked you a question about how you would deal with um, a couple who are in a, hmm. um, a gay relationship coming into church. So connecting that with the word inclusive, Mm. um, you were really gracious in your response to that lady who asked that question. Um, I'm wondering how you um, marry truth and grace together if you are wanting everybody to come Mm. to Mm. hear the gospel and to become part of a church. And yet sometimes we all don't conform to biblical yeah. purity all the time. Yeah. So how how do how yeah. would you how do we approach people who perhaps don't know the gospel but are coming in first of all? Yes. And um they're not and I'm using inverted commas here, behaving as yeah. we would suggest is the right way to be. I have a sweatshirt that says God's love is fully inclusive. All right. Uh that's not one of the ones that I personally designed. Okay. I, I have some of those, but this is one that is, you know, freely available uh, for for anyone to buy. And I have that sweatshirt because I believe it. Hmm. I think it is absolutely true. There is nobody in this world who is beyond the reach of God's love and God's grace. Absolutely nobody. Whatever you have done, wherever you have gone, Mm. back to the parable Mm. of the prodigal son, whoever you are, you can be welcomed in to the body of Christ. You Mm. can be loved by him Mm. passionately and deeply as anybody else. Um, There's a wonderful verse in Romans, while we were still God's enemies, Christ died for us. So even if you have been an enemy of God, the gospel is for you. And our churches need to reflect that. Whenever anybody comes in, whatever their messy, complicated relationship situation is, whatever their sinful desires are that we won't know whatever kind of behavior they are engaged Mm. in it does not matter the gospel is for them and they need to hear the gospel spoken but they need to see it demonstrated in the way that people relate to them they need to know that we're glad that they've come they need to know that they won't be treated as weirdos or outsiders or as the worst of the worst because I bet you they're not bet you they're not I bet there's people that who are doing things that we think 
oh my word, if we knew about that, we yeah. would be horrified. Yeah. So our welcome needs to be fully inclusive because God's love is fully inclusive. Yeah. Now, of course, as part of the gospel uh, that they uh, hear and, and see demonstrated, needs to be repentance. Mm. There needs to be an understanding that we all of us come to the Lord Jesus as sinners who have gone wrong, who've done wrong, who've thought wrong, who want wrong things, mm. who've lived our own way, in in whatever respect that is, mm. and that the gospel that is on offer, the grace that is on offer, comes with repentance. Mm. Now, where it can be difficult is obviously understanding what things we need to repent of and that's really the heart of the big discussion in the church of england at the moment is those of us who feel very strongly that same-sex relationships are a thing to be repented of and those who seem to believe that they are not um but either way we always are offering a gospel of repentance and if we believe that same-sex relationships are a thing to be repented of and same-sex desire is a thing that must be repented of and and um then we will need to explain that to someone just as we would need to explain to an alcoholic or an abusive husband or you know somebody who regularly tells white lies or whatever it is that is a thing that you're going to need to repent of Mm -hmm. and repenting means that you are going to need to do your best to stop and it'll be hard and you'll struggle and you'll Mm -hmm. carry on sinning because we all do Mm -hmm. but you will have the Holy Spirit to help you and you'll have the prayers uh, of the church to help you and you know and we'll walk alongside you and we're Mm -hmm. not going to turn our back on you Mm -hmm. if you fail for the tenth time or the hundredth time but we need you will need to know that Christ calls you to live a different kind of life than the one you are living now. But that's not the first thing you want to say when someone walks through the door. It is a thing you're going to want to say if somebody's showing, saying, actually, I really really want to be a Christian. I Mm. want to give my life to Christ. They need to count the cost, and they need to know that that might be part of the cost for them. Exactly. And what you're not saying is actually having being same-sex attracted is a sin in itself. No, I think that's right. I mean, there's a lot of debate about this as well. And um, yeah, I I don't think I want to spend a lot of time going into the difference between lust and concupiscence and all of that thing. I do think we need to to be clear, don't we, that Jesus talks about lust is the same as adultery. And so there's a point at which you can say, well, I haven't done anything, but actually you may still have sinned. But simply saying that is the the kind of temptation I am most likely to have. Absolutely. I mean, we're all tempted to different sins. Yeah. That that may, doesn't make you any different from anyone no, else. That's yeah. Um, thank you, Ros. I do want to finish with your art. Um, and do you want to get any of the rest of it? Yeah, that that There's is beautiful. Um, can you just finish by um, telling me why celibacy is okay, actually? Yeah. Because that is, I'm just looking at this, that is um, a beautifully cross-stitched, I'm presuming, um, picture. And that is a statement, and I'd like you to explain it. Thank you. <laughs> Celibacy is okay, actually, um, because sex is not all that important. Okay. Sex is a quite small part of life. Um, there is this sort of myth around in our culture that the best way to live your life is to go about having as much sex as you can (laughs) in as many places as you can with as many people as you can and and that's the way to 
to live life and my lived experience and also what the bible tells me is that actually you can have a great life without having sex at all um i you know there's lots of things in my life that i've missed out on that is not one that i'm having regrets about and i tell you what when we get to heaven nobody is going to be looking back saying oh i wish, I wish i'd had more sex I wish I'd had more sex because it would be like looking back and saying, do you know what? I really wish I'd been able to see more animal sacrifices. <laughs> you know, you don't look back to the shadow mm. when you're enjoying the reality. Exactly. C.S. Lewis says that wonderful thing, doesn't he? The mud, um, the boy making mud pies yeah. because he can't imagine what a holiday is like. When you're having a wonderful, glorious holiday, you don't wish you were back making mud pies exactly. in the sewers. So, you know, we won't ever feel like we've missed out. And frankly, you don't need to feel like you're missing out now. That, you know, other people's experience may be different. Mine is, is that it's absolutely fine. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking to me. It's oh. been enlightening, challenging, funny and just really helpful so thank you oh well thank you i've really enjoyed it i um never thought this would become one of my specialist <laughs> subjects but, but as it turns out i really like talking about sex <laughs> thanks to ruth and ros for a fascinating and wide-ranging conversation on our website at truefreedomtrust.co.uk you can find further resources articles and reviews and you can sign up to receive our ascend magazine you've been listening to the ascend higher podcast Thanks for listening and bye for now.